Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Jan Fran here. And this is a story that has made headlines right around the country for good reason. Last Saturday, a group of people sat down for lunch in Leangatha, Victoria. Days later, three of them are dead and a fourth is in a serious condition in hospital. The reason is suspected mushroom poisoning. Now, we don't know exactly how the victims ended up ingesting what authorities believe to be death cap mushrooms. And like I said, this story has made headlines right around the country, but it's certainly not the only death involving this particular type of mushrooms. In 2012, two people died in Canberra after eating a meal at a New Year's Eve party. And just last year in New South Wales, there was a spike of hospitalisations of mushroom poisoning which has led authorities to caution people going foraging. The death cap is extremely poisonous. It goes to level of um, liquefying internal organs and it's very hard to stop the process. That there is a professional forager who knows his way around fields and forests and mushrooms. As you'll hear a little later in the show, it is very hard, very hard to tell the difference between the good ones and the ones that will kill you. We're going to get to that in a sec, but first, today's headlines. It is Friday, TGIF, August 11. Here's what's making news. Hey, Jan. Well, the US President Joe Biden has declared a major emergency in Hawaii following wildfires that have killed at least 36 people. We're going to make sure the state has everything it needs for the federal government to recover. The fire started in Maui from strong winds uh, from Hurricane Dora, which took the island by surprise, forcing over 11,000 travellers to evacuate from the island. Over 270 structures were damaged or destroyed, leaving dozens of people injured, uh, as well as the 36 deaths, and forcing people to dive into the ocean for safety. Yeah, this has happened in a very big tourist destination in Maui. Um, I think it's the biggest tourist destination town on that island. Multiple hotels, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, And authorities are saying that they're preparing the convention centre in Honolulu to accommodate up to 4,000 people that have been displaced from these wildfires. So a horrible story is still unfolding. Yeah, so one of um, Hawaii's deadliest fires uh, in decades, um, and yeah, fueled by those unusual conditions, having um, winds, hot winds from a distant hurricane blowing there. Um, These sort of fires have increased in their intensity because of climate change. So, you know, we just did that briefing topic yesterday, looking at the wildfires in Canada, Mm. around the Mediterranean, and looking at the fact that we're coming out of a triple La Nina here into an El Nino, a hotter, drier fire season, um, they haven't been able to do the backburning here in Australia that they wanted to do. We're at about 20% of what we wanted to do. So the fuel loads are much higher. So many signs that look kind of scary for summer. And an Australian journalist held in a Chinese jail for three years has broken her silence, saying that she misses her family and life back home. This is Chang Lee. She says that she can only stand in the sunlight, get this, for 10 hours a year. And that sunlight that shines through a window in her cell. Now, the 48-year-old had a closed trial last year in China over national security accusations. Um, 
very vague. Even her family doesn't know exactly what it is that she has been charged with. Um, She's been imprisoned as she waits for a verdict and there's no telling when that'll come down. And she's got two children as well, which is just so sad. So they're living with her husband and her mother here in Australia, you know, wondering when on earth their mother will be released and what, if anything, she did wrong to end up in this horrific situation. Absolutely. And fans of space travel rejoice. Virgin Galactic has successfully flown tourists to space for the first time on a space plane. They Mm. travelled on the Virgin Galactic's VSS Unity. That is a reusable rocket-powered space plane. Mm. I should know exactly what that is, but I don't. And it sounds pretend, but it's very real. Why should you? (laughs) I mean, this is right out there. So some of these people paid up to $450,000 for this trip. Um, They flew up 80 k's from the Earth's surface. Uh, That's where, uh, you know, gravity stops and they became weightless. So they're floating around. They did that for a few minutes and then they came back. Okay. (laughs) Worth the money, you reckon? (laughs) Well, look, no, definitely not. But I will say it's, it's, it's more than I would ever spend or, you know, have enough to spend on anything ridiculous as that. But it's not millions. I mean, it does look more and more realistic that it will be affordable in our lifetime. Uh, not in my lifetime. Depending how long we live. <laughs> you wouldn't do it? No, uh, oh, I absolutely wouldn't do it. I hate space. I want to stay right here in my home. I'd be like, look, when we get back down, is it coming to the same place? Are we going to, could you drop me in New York or somewhere else? <laughs> like, you know, if I'm going to pay that much money, I want to go somewhere Interesting on an earthly level as well as an interspatial level. Yeah, I want to go to Vanuatu. I don't want to go to space. (laughs) Here are the people that were on board. So there was was actually um, six people on board. Three of them were crew. The rest were the paying customers or, you know, the Mm. the tourists. There was a former uh, British Olympian who was 80 years old, has Parkinson's disease. Mm. And then there were two passengers from the Caribbean um, who were actually a mother and daughter team. Mm. So it was a health and wellness coach and an 18-year-old daughter. And here's a fun fact, that mission, it marks the most women flown in a single mission to space. Mm, There you go. Take that, Jeff Bezos. And all eyes are on the Matildas this Saturday night, a uh, very important game as we play France in the quarterfinals. And it's so popular that Channel 7 have pushed back the 6 o'clock news (gasps) until after the game. Um, This has only happened a few times in history. And the AFL has pushed back the start time of the Melbourne versus Carlton game. Damn, all of these stories about the ratings that we're hearing, Mm. that is nothing compared to the 6 o'clock news (laughs) being pushed back or tampered with time. They never do that. Mm. So this must be a really, uh, really important thing. Are you going to watch it? Yeah, I am. I I just... I just can't wait to see how many other people are going to watch it as well as Mm. these records keep falling of how much support builds around this FIFA Women's World Cup. Yeah, I think um, my partner is out of town and obviously I have a kid who is going to be sleeping, so I'm going to probably be watching it by myself. Low volume. (laughs) (laughs) On Saturday night. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. It's going to be sick. Well, if the baby's awake, that adds another eyeball, you know, 
build the ratings, build the support. Yeah, maybe I'll get him out there in a Matilda's scarf and a little Matilda's beanie, just knocking back some brewskis. Well, he's going to grow up in a different world where women's sport is way more prominent than it was when we grew up. Yeah, totally. Um, I actually, I saw a friend of mine who's got um, a little girl who was like talking about soccer the other day and, oh yeah, I said, you know, do, do you like sport? She's like, yeah, I like soccer. I was like, that's nice. That's really nice to hear. Clearly, I'm not around kids enough to know whether that's an anomaly or not, but just hearing it felt felt nice. All right, Tom, we'll catch you later. Up next, I'm talking mushrooms. The tragic event that unfolded this week in Victoria has highlighted just how dangerous certain types of mushrooms can be, particularly when ingested. If you are curious about wild mushrooms, if you've ever had the urge to forage for some, you might want to proceed with caution or perhaps not proceed at all. To tell us why, we're joined by Diego Bonetto. He is a professional forager, which means that he scours forests and fields looking for wild plants and vegetables to eat. And yes, that includes wild mushrooms. Diego joins us now. Diego, welcome to the show. You forage for wild mushrooms. So for somebody who's got no idea what that is, just tell us what it involves. It involves going in a particular location at a particular time of year and look for known varieties of mushrooms. And there is some very easy mushrooms to recognise, as example, in pine forest for the pine mushrooms. So we go in a pine forest with our baskets and we collect mushrooms. When you say that you go to certain places at certain times of the year, what are those places and what are those times of the year? So uh, let's start with time. Uh, Edible mushrooms tend to come out predominantly in autumn. There's also some edible varieties that come out at different time of the year, but the majority of edible mushrooms comes out in autumn after good condition. That is rain and the ideal temperature for them to fruit. And uh, in terms of locations, it depends what you're harvesting. If you're looking for pine mushrooms, you need to go where the pine trees are. Uh, Field mushrooms, you need to go in the fields uh, and so forth. So there is, uh, mushrooms tend to have specific relationships with uh, trees or other botany. Uh, Some mushrooms don't, but uh, they always grow in specific ecologies. And you take people on tours when you go foraging. What kind of people are signing up to your tours and what sort of information are they getting? Because I've got this very picturesque view of lovely people in a field with baskets. It's a beautiful day. It's, it's all very picturesque. But take us through the tour itself. What does it involve? Uh, it is picturesque make excellent Instagram shots. <laughs> uh, yes, we, um, so I run a foraging workshop, mushroom foraging workshop. I do that in State Forest uh, because I have uh, an agreement. I'm a registered um, instructor with Forestry New South Wales. I live in New South Wales and in our State Forest, we can harvest, legally harvest for mushrooms. That's where we go. It involves turning up early in the morning. If you want the mushrooms, you've got to wake up early. Usually it's cold, maybe, some, maybe a little bit wet. 
perfect mushroom weather. And we go and uh, take people out and do an acknowledgement of country. I take them through the people, the basics of harvesting mushrooms, uh, like the what, the where, the when of mushroom foraging and the how. Uh, so I teach people how to harvest the produce, how to look after the produce, how to look after the ecologies where the produce live. And then uh, we go out, we harvest mushrooms, uh, and uh, the first out in the first forage, the people go out, uh, come back with all sorts of mushrooms. They always do. Oh, what about this? What about that? And uh, we run through an identification table. I set up a table in the forest where we put the mushroom on the table, one next to the other, so we can uh, see the differences, the one, the desirable varieties and all of the others, and what's the difference so that mm. people can lock in identification skills. And then we go out and forage the good ones. And by the time we can, they come back, we offer them a beautiful meal in the forest. We cook up some mushrooms and with my wife, we create some beautiful dishes for people to enjoy the, the beautiful produce as fresh as they come. You're really selling it there. Um, unfortunately, we know that uh, some mushrooms are probably not right to be eaten. And you talked about the good ones versus the bad ones and making sure you're getting the right ones, not the wrong ones. What are the types of dangerous mushrooms and how do you make sure that you avoid them? Good question. Thank you. And it's all about identification skills. So when you go out mushrooming, there is some very poisonous mushrooms out there. And uh, you need to be confident in your skills before you go by yourself. So first and foremost, go out with someone who can teach you not only the good ones, but also the lookalikes, how to tell them apart. There's a number of features that you will need to uh, notice, you will need to learn to look for, and you will need to notice in the mushrooms. And different lookalikes will need to look for different features. For example, pine mushrooms, um, a very common lookalike of the, uh, the slippery jacks, uh, the Suilius species, a very common lookalike is the Gymnopnus junior, uh, which is laughing gym, and uh, which is not edible and uh, so toxic even. So for people who do not understand how to see the feature, they can make a mistake. They're both brown, they both come in a pine forest, they both at the same time, and uh, so they, they both might look sliming on top after rain. So it's, um, it's not uncommon that people bring them at the table thinking they are the right ones. Mm. Other mushrooms uh, have different lookalikes, so it depends what you harvesting. Which are the ones that you want to avoid? Because I keep reading about the yellow staining and the death cap mushrooms being the two of the top most poisonous ones. Where are they and how do we make sure that we don't come across them? Let's start with death cap. Death cap is responsible for 90% of mushroom death in the world. So death cap is the mushroom, you do not want to make a mistake. You'll find them in fields nearby 
deciduous trees, most commonly oak trees. So you can find them in parks, in, 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 in urban environments, okay? Mm. They are found in Southeast Australia. There is New South Wales, ACT, Victoria, even South Australia. Um, so they are around and they are deadly. Um, they look similar to the mushroom you buy at the supermarkets, but they are not. So uh, a way to avoid this mushroom is, and this is something that all mushroom foragers know, if you're harvesting a field mushroom, slow down because they look alike. So do um, you need to really be empowered and aware of how to tell them apart? Mm, what about the yellow staining mushroom? Staining mushrooms also in fields and parks and uh, southeast Australia, uh, similar to the cap, similar to the field mushrooms that you can actually eat and the mushroom you buy at the supermarket. So the agaricus uh, campestri and agaricus biparus. And the yellow stainers, also an agaricus, xanthodermus, is similar but it's got yellow stains. That's why the yellow stainers. The yellow stainer is not as poisonous as a death cap, but it gives you a very bad tummy ache. So best avoid. Mm. Yeah, so what, what are the impacts of eating poisonous mushrooms? It depends. There's some very serious toxins in that kingdom. It depends what you're eating. So, uh, like the death cap is extremely poisonous. It goes to level of um, liquefying internal organs and it's very hard to stop the process. And um, while many mushrooms are just indigestible, give you a very bad tummy ache, may even get you vomiting and so forth. But regardless, you know, so um, at the end of the day, please only harvest once you have knowledge. If you do not have first-hand knowledge with someone showing you, please find someone to show you the one you want to harvest next to the one you don't want to harvest and make you see the differences. Because at times when you read books, when you're following instructions on YouTube and so forth, um, uh, you miss the, the understanding of how to see the differences. You miss the lingo, you miss the vocabulary to understand how to tell the difference. That was professional forager Diego Bonetto there, ending with some good advice. There are certain types of mushrooms that you just don't want to mess with. And just because you don't hear about every instance of mushroom poisoning on the news or in the newspapers doesn't mean that it's not happening. Proceed with caution. Well, that is it for our Monday to Friday show. As always, the weekend briefing is ready for you tomorrow. Jamila Rizvi, who have you got on the show? We are back with a, another episode of our special weekend briefing series where I talk to some of my favourite guests about a single fascinating topic. This weekend, our topic is power, which is a really good one. And I'm chatting with Kemi Nekvapil, who is a coach, speaker, author. She teaches people all over Australia, all over the world, about how to understand their own power. And if you are in need of a bit of a pep talk, whether it's about your career or your personal life or any 
aspect of your world where you are feeling like you need to prove your worth or where you feel like you're having to be falsely positive or optimistic or you're just feeling vulnerable rather than powerful, Kemi is the person you need to hear from. It's a really great episode. I I would encourage anyone to go and have a listen. Yeah, so would I. Kemi's pretty amazing and hugely insightful. Great show coming up. Thank you for that, Jam. And thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, We love having you as part of the Brief and Family Briefers. And a massive thank you to our team behind the scenes. Of course, this show would not be possible without them. That is it from me. Catch you next week. Bye. Listener.